and we just sold our dining room set because we're getting a new one. Yeah. And so the chair that we have right now is, I don't know if it can support the bulk <laughs> that is currently on top eat, of it. If you eat so, shit, there's no way I'm cutting that. <laughs> It'll be a true test of central stability and uh, motor control. I, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna, you know, I am an athlete, so uh, the the extreme amount of athleticism that may be on display this morning might uh, might come to fruition uh, for everybody listening and watching. So, how is the new house, man? Uh, we moved January one. Oh, so you're not uh, in it yet? We're not we're not in it yet, but very very excited. It's uh, it's so much better than what we're in right now. Uh, you know, renting and stuff. And yeah, we knew the place we were in right now. We knew it was going to kind of be a transition house until we get to something we want. Mm-hmm. So I uh, almost get my wish like you, you know, to be able to walk out the, the back um, yeah. and, and, you know, do the thing and do your thing, you know, but like well, there's houses around, but how we we're situated is mm-hmm. if we're standing like right against our house, nobody can see the backyard. See, I, uh, which again, it's a little colder here, but now that the leaves are off the trees, mm-hmm. I may be pushing it. Um, so I, I wait for <laughs> spring to come yeah. back before I can do that. But we need a little bit more foliage on the, uh, on the branches before we start to. So that's, that's how I gauge my wishes now. I'm like full year round <laughs> access to that. Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> we well, how's it? So how long have you been at Parker now? You guys been down there for what? Three? May, May of 2018 is when I started. Oh, okay. and, um, and so, um, and Marianne started in January of 2019. So over two and a half years. How's that been? How's it going from private practice to academia? You know, it's, it's good. It's a, uh, it's a little, it's, I mean, very different, obviously they both have its pros and cons. Um, and if, if, if it was ever possible to kind of like have like an amalgamation of both, <laughs> um, like being able to benefit from those, uh, then it would be like the perfect scenario, but, um, very different than private practice. Obviously, uh, a lot of aspects miss quite a bit from private practice. Uh, but there's also a lot of aspects in teaching that, uh, you'll never get in private practice. Well, I wouldn't say you never get, but, um, it takes a lot, a lot, a lot to get there. Basically you're just like running the business essentially. Right. And not really practicing to be able to do some of the things you're able to do in private practice. So, yeah. What's, uh, like, well, we'll get into that a little bit later. What's take, obviously there's private practice challenges, right? Maybe not so much like the actual practice part, but like running a business and stuff. Mm-hmm. What personally, and then also with like the students, I want to explore both of these. Like what are some of your challenges being in that setting for you? And then I'm going to ask, I want you to know the follow up what are some of the challenges with students like of what you're trying to accomplish with them or just challenges in general? So what's like a personal challenge in that setting for you? Personal challenge in the the teaching setting. Yeah. You know, I think uh, there's a, there's a lot about the, that you miss from the patient interaction Mm -hmm. and being able to the, the, being able to think through a, a problem and a process, uh, be able to not solve it, but like almost like kind of uh, digest the mystery and, and be able to to help them out on the end, on the back end of that. So one thing I've, I've tried to do with that is be able to try, how do I transition that into the classroom? You know what I mean? You know, because the students come to me and try six 
um, before they get to me, they're, they're, you know, from a biomechanics standpoint, they've had one biomechanics course, which, uh, which is, is mostly motion palpation. Mm. Uh, but they, they go over quite a bit of biomechanics, but there's so much time that lapses over from try two to, to try six. It's like, you know, when, and sometimes when they come to me, it's like, well, we don't really, they don't remember all of it. You know what I mean? Um, so, you know, trying to catch them up to speed. Uh, and I feel like I kind of, where I want them to be at the end of my class, PT2, which is all the active therapeutic exercise, where I want them to be at the end of my class, I I, I have to like really kind of not catch them up, but like there's a lot of background stuff that we need to, I need to give them, you know, and obviously there's still some, some stuff from boards that we still need to, they still need to know and, and that type of stuff. So I think the challenge for me in the clinic and the uh, classroom aspect is, is getting them, getting, getting them to understand the things that they need to know for boards, but really, um, you know, how to integrate some of the stuff that they need to know for boards, but really how do they integrate all this other stuff into actual practice, which they're not going to get to start doing in like two more trimesters. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So there's, there's this like, there's, there's a big gap uh, I feel leading up to, and then after the course for my material specifically. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And that seems like, that seems like the big desert with students right now overall, right? Like it doesn't matter what part of education you're in, you know, try to, you know, try 10 or practicing still. It's like the, and again, it's probably what you said is really what people are getting at is the problem solving aspect is when you're actually mm-hmm. putting your clinical skills into kind of critical thinking and doing that in mm-hmm. a timely manner, but that's what everybody's missing. So um, I know Marianne and I have talked about that and like, that's kind of the critical piece. So like, Get, do you have any examples of like how you do incorporate that and what you're doing? You know, I, I do. Um, and it's ironically, it's actually not in my course necessarily. Uh, it's in the, it's in another course. So they mm-hmm. have a, um, currently, currently the students have a class called full spine adjusting, which is kind of like what we did at Logan and try six where we, you know, that we had 10 weeks where we assessed and we, we adjust our partner before leading up in the mm-hmm. clinic and student clinic and try seven. Well, there's no student clinic at Parker. So, um, try eight, you're in outpatient clinic and then try eights t- uh, treat, um, treat internal patients, which are students. Mm-hmm. Uh, they treat students for, um, however long, uh, there's certain requirements you meet, have to meet before you're released to see external patients. Mm-hmm. And they could typically start seeing external patients with up, up, you know, about four weeks or so after to, uh, after they start try eight to try and, you know, get their numbers and whatnot. And so try five, six, and seven, they have a course called FSA. So it's full spine adjusting. And so it's FSA one, two, and three. And when I get the students in FSA three, uh, I get maybe anywhere from two, one to two to three classes, depending on how large the class is. Um, and there are groups of 10. That's actually the class that I'm able to like, kind of like bring, pull things together for them because the FSA itself isn't necessarily structured to have any context around what you're doing. It's just, Hey, you have to have nine adjustments, three in each region. Um, by the end of the semester uh and so go and so like when i start first started doing that that class it's like they're coming to me with like okay they're doing a full spine workup they're not supposed to have any pain the patient is so to speak their partner right mm-hmm. that's not supposed to have any pain and i'm looking at this and like okay you have 
you they they do the workup and there's like these listings listings is like okay uh c one two three c uh c five six seven uh t one through t twelve they have all these like these like malpositions and restrictions and stuff i'm like what what are you gonna adjust <laughs> it's, you're not gonna adjust like you know you're not gonna adjust like twenty things like yeah. pick pick two <laughs> and so like I try to create a little context around that so okay um so I, I started creating parameters. And so I, I kind of know what, uh, for the students that is, so I kind of know what the docs in the clinic want in terms mm-hmm. of a time aspect of they want wanting to work through a patient and paperwork. So I try and get them as like, okay, day one, here's the deal. The faster you realize you're not very good at this, the better we're off. Okay. So get yourself in a mental state of, I want both you and your partner to be done assessing each other in the next 15 minutes. And there's two hours for the, for that class. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they do that. And they're like, Oh my God, you know, I, I, I can't do this. And then, you know, and, and then they're like two, two weeks later, they're like, they're both done in 15 minutes because you, you don't, you never, nobody ever challenges them. They're not going to get there. Right. And so then I start saying, okay, well right now, mentally you have to put yourself on uh, there's this patient that doesn't have any pain. What if your patient comes in or you have a patient comes in and it just wants like, they just, they want a performance or they want, they just, they heard the benefits of chiropractic, whatever, whatever they come into you with. Right. What are you going to do? And they like, you know, stone face, like, well, they don't have pain. I don't know. Like, okay, well it's assess them. Like, you know, you would, if they don't have pain, they're like, well, how do I do that? Well, I was like, do you not remember functional assessment? Mm-hmm. Like, how about, how about you haven't touched your toes? How about you extend back? How about you have them squat? Right. And so you see them, moving in these global patterns, just like a basic, t- almost like a top, you know, top tier SFMA, where are they not moving from? Are they moving too much from some areas? That's what's going to lead you to your quick scan, your MPI stuff. And then you can get into your specific palpation things. It's a, an assessment funnel, right? Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, that makes sense. I'm like, I know we've given you the pieces, but this is, it's up to you to try and like put them together before we get there. Right. And so uh, when they start doing that, they actually, they, they're kind of seeing like, okay, well, I'm, fi- I'm always finding these, this C5, you know, these C- C4s and C5s as the students present. I was like, I'm like, don't, it's a trap. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> it's, leave it alone. And because they'll have another listing of like, you know, upper cervical or like, like CT junction. I'm like, hey, i tell you what, adjust this and then repalpate. And like every time they're like adjusting, they're like, it's, it's gone. I'm like, I know magic. <laughs> right. And so like, trying to create context around that, those things and like get them to like, you know, Oh, you find lumbar uh, restriction. How about you do some bird dogs here or do some side planks or something like that? Or how about you just like do this isometric lifters wedge into the strap and see if that changes. And, and of course it changes, right. It's because they, they, they've never seen the effects of the exercise on a patient necessarily. Right. They've only in the clinic, usually they only get like, usually they only get, um, you know, adjusting or they get like passive modalities unless they've been through when I was previously in the clinic before transitioning over into the academics, unless they had me as their doc, they never saw the, the, the benefits of doing, you know, mixing in therapeutic exercises along with manual therapies. Right. And so trying to create context in that course is, is actually an opportunity. I think, um, that, that I've tried to, I've tried to like, you know, take and like move forward a little bit so they could kind of at least start thinking like, Oh, I like, I took all these, I took this, you know, PT2 and functional assessment. Uh, I, I don't know how to use it, although we go over how to use it in the class. Um, but they don't see it in action necessarily one-on-one. 
because the time's limited in those courses. There's a lot of content we need to cover, obviously. Um, but um, so trying to trying to implement some of those things in that course is is kind of where I think, um, you know, we can start kind of bridging the gap a little bit from that from the from the academic side over to like you know now you can use it in practice, necess- you know, so to speak. But then transition to clinic and keep using it, please. Yeah. Well, I think the other side of uh, you know, what's being sought is kind of the polar opposite of at least what I've seen. So you have, you know, kids that don't know how to integrate anything at all. And then there's, and I say kids, students that have taken every, you know, post-grad seminar while they're in school. And all of a sudden Mm -hmm. I've heard kids say, man, I don't think I should be doing, you know, I'm air quoting chiropractic. Like I, Mm -hmm. you know, I can do everything hands off. It's exercise, pain science, pain neuroscience. And it's like, and I mean, I had one student literally like reach out to me and be like, I think I should drop out. Like, this is ridiculous. I should just be, you know, a coach. And I was like, well, you know, there's a lot of levels to that. So I think you're obviously seeing the academic, like they're learning the bare bones skills and it's very, you know, I don't want to say foundational, but chiropractic's at the center of what they're treating is, right? They, it's the exploration uh-huh. that maybe isn't there yet, even though it may happen in a couple of tries or a few years. What would you say to the students on that other side? that are kind of seeing a loss of value in manual therapy and things like that, because they're just being maybe inundated with all the other information. You know, it's funny is cause I going through school, I didn't take any continued education at all. Uh, I, I didn't really know. Like, I mean, the only continued education I did really was I, I read, you know, going through my back surgery stuff, you know, having to do my rehab after my fusion, I read McGill's book probably about four or five times through try six mm-hmm. Uh, and then the Liebenson's books, the same amount. Right. And so that was like, to me, that kind of like that stuff, like really like spoke to me from a, like a, a rehab standpoint. And so that was like the only continued education I ever had really got until after chiropractic school. Then I started taking seminars and stuff. And so I kind of hit that point a little bit in like maybe year one and a half, close to two. I wasn't to the point to where I was like, um, you know, I shouldn't be in chiropractic, but I, w- I did get to a point to where like, you know, there's a lot more that I can do that. I don't need the manual therapy aspect of it. You know, there's a lot that I can do, but then it was like, you know, I think there was a realization of like, Hey, again, it's like, it's a never, it's almost like when you're going from like pure manual therapy to exercise, right? It's like, well, I have manual therapy. Why do I need anything else? Mm-hmm. You start learning all this exercise stuff. And you're like, you're like, oh, well, there, there's a there's a big benefit to this, but the, the pendulum starts to swing too far over here, right? It's like, oh, there's all this exercise stuff. Why do I need manual therapy? It needs to start swinging back to the middle, right? And so I think the um, you know, the the next patient that like came through my door after I started saying, I was like, oh, I don't need a lot of manual therapy stuff. You know, I could just do a lot with this exercise. Was a big big manual therapy case right square in the forehead, you know, and and that was the benefit of clinical practice is like you're going to get that exposure off often, you know, and, and then you start this, you start to realize like, well, I need all these tools. You know, these are all tools. You know what I mean? I need all these tools to be able to start, start implementing, um, uh, for the patient in front of me, you know, that whole N equals one thing, you know, you never know when you're going to use X, right? I used to always say, I'm, oh, no, I'll never use clamshells ever. I'll never use clamshells. This is, and this is why. So I was trying eight we had uh, advanced biomechanics with winchester right <clears throat> and 
uh, I was having this like this kind of this weird case in in uh, in Biofreeze, and uh, you know I was like I was I'm doing some glute stuff with this patient. And he was like, well, "What are you doing for glute stuff?" And like the only thing I knew at that time it was like I was like clamshells. He was like he was like <sighs> kind of scoffed. So, <laughs> I was like. I kind of looked, he's like, well, I could think of a, quite a few more exercises that are better than clamshells. And I, and I didn't know. Right. And I was like, well, what? And he kind of gave me some, gave me some exercises. And I was like, I looked up and, and obviously they're better than clamshells. You know? And so from then on, I was like, oh, I'll never use clamshells. And then, and then I had a, uh, in practice, I had a case come through where this older lady, um, she clearly had like severe foraminal stenosis. Mm-hmm. to the point to where the, the musculature wasn't firing at all in her hip. Mm-hmm. And like she had a bunch of bone spurs shaved down. So it was like, literally it was like impinging on the nerve root. Right. And so there was no glute. She couldn't do anything. I was like, let's start with clamshells. And then it worked, it worked great for her. Right. And like, obviously it, it didn't like that one session didn't build her up to where like, Oh, I can stand on my leg now. But like she started to feel like the glute firing mm-hmm. and she was actually able to start moving the leg and then I was like, insert foot in mouth, <laughs> you know, is it never say never, right? Because you never know when you're going to have to pull out that thing. And that's, yeah, and I think probably the best point out of that is it maybe students, what either, you know, way the pendulum swinging for them at the time, it's like, and I, I tell all of our, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, undergrad interns or, you know, externs, like don't set your paradigm too early. As soon as you yeah. close your mind down, then you start going that way and I think I, I think we all do that. You kind of maybe go this way for a little bit. And then as long as you divert, but if you kind of go too far one way, all of a sudden you're going to run into that case that humbles you or you don't help that person or you get put into the scenario at a super high level. Like, you know, say, you know, everybody used the example, but a pro athlete comes in and you're not able to help them because you don't have, mm-hmm. you know, whatever you need. And that's where, again, then you're like, man, I wish I would have done more. But again, it gets tough because then students now, and this, the next question for you, I just feel like it's massively different. Like I did a lot of seminars in school, but like, even though I did a lot, it's, was, it's like this month I'm doing a small amount uh, versus mm-hmm. a huge amount of what students do now. And it's almost like they feel like obligatory, like they got to do it, you know, to be good. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what are your thoughts on that? Cause like, I, I think it can be dangerous. It can, obviously it's awesome, but it's obviously also individual. Like some people can't do it. Some can, but like, what are your thoughts on that? You know, I think, um, I think it depends. There's a couple of factors. Uh, I think it depends on what the student did before chiropractic school. Um, so if they had a background in massage therapy and or exercise like strength and conditioning, uh, maybe they did, uh, they had to have a, like a legitimate kinesiology background where mm-hmm. they had to do legitimate, like, you know, research and stuff like that. I think those students could probably start to, they could take a few seminars. Um, probably I would honestly, I'd probably wait till like mid chiropractic school, like try, uh, try four, try five, maybe. Um, I think students coming out of undergrad like myself that were biology majors because uh we didn't we didn't have kinesiology at my undergrad i was in no no meant from a mental standpoint i was in no shape to like take a dns (laughs) i had no shape to take like a mcgill i'd have been you know over my head um i feel like it would have been you know you know knowing my athleticism now looking back on it i'm just kidding but uh (laughs) 
but but honestly like you know some students shouldn't be taking things until like try try six try eight try nine some students like my you know myself like i i think i probably could have took something like later on like try eight try nine and that would have been able to grasp it and know where it kind of like goes down my you know like my my treatment Mm -hmm. uh, methods you know but uh some students don't have a science background at all Mm -hmm. you know and there's a lot you have to learn uh, to be able to apply some of this stuff in, in, you know, not just in clinic, but obviously in practice, right. When you're maybe two years out of practice, you know, some students are in try three, they don't have a, they don't have a background in kinesiology. Um, you know, they don't know what biomechanics is. Uh, literally they don't know what that, you know, what it is. And I didn't have, I don't have a biomechanics background. You just kind of learn it as you go. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, they go to like a DNS a, or they go to, you know, a, uh, even a Liebenson, uh, you know, first personal movement, um, start talking about BPS and stuff. And it's going to be over their head. Mm-hmm. It's good. It's just going to be over the head. Now, do they need to hear it? Yeah. I think they need to learn it a hundred percent. I think they need to be exposed to it, but I think it would be overwhelming to some students that early on in their education. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they don't have the background, if they don't, ha- if they don't have like something like a massage therapy or if they don't have like a, uh, specifically a strength and conditioning background or experience coaching, you know? But, so this brings up an interesting point and you're a good person to speak on it. And I know there's probably a bit of things that you have to toe the line on what you talk about. But like that being said, like I went to business school, right? I worked for a while, then I came back, but I was always involved in athletics. So it's not like that's like a, you know, in in place kinesiology degree, but when you're involved in it, I think you understand your body better, which allows you to have a little bit, you know, better insight. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's not a degree, but do you think that students should be required prior to entrance to have either experience, right? Like you need to have done something, right? I'm not saying like be a trainer, be a strength conditioning coach, like your degree should be, you know, general science realms. Cool. But like, if it had some component that you, you know, if there were, I'm just going to say, if there were more stringent admittance uh, qualifications or, you know, Mm. uh, strictures that it's like, man, we need you to do something like an internship before you come. Like a lot of all the UAB students here have to do an internship. They're a kinesiology major. A lot of them come here. They may still go to PT school, but they have to do something before they actually get admitted. Um, And I think that's just good because a lot of them change their mind. Like, Oh, I don't want to do this or I want to do this thing. So I, Mm -hmm. I, what do you, what do you think about that? I I think, yes, I do. I, I, you know, and you know, obviously that's not a part of a part of the thing we kind of look at to allow students in necessarily Mm -hmm. uh, as an internship. Uh, But I think I'm on the, I'm on the admissions committee. So I do have to kind of, you know, keep an eye on, but I I think having something, I think a couple aspects, having a couple aspects, I think having uh, a, um, an internship like that would be huge. Uh, I actually, you know, like I I mentioned earlier, I was biology, uh, but it was pre-physical therapy was the the, the degree. So I had to do a semester at a PT's office. Mm -hmm. And, and so, and, and so that, that kind of, you know, it was exactly what I thought it would be. It, it didn't change my mind what I wanted to do. Uh, I mean, I did go to chiropractic school instead of going to PT school, which I kind of planned on, but that was from another conversation with, with somebody else. Right. But I think having, having that internship is, is pretty important because like you said, you, you, 
you don't know that you don't want to do something until you start doing it. You know, that's a, that's a big, that's a big part of it, right? You need the exposure. I also think uh, an interview, uh, an actual physical interview uh, or like a virtual interview face-to-face is really important uh, in admitting everybody, <laughs> you know, I, I, I do. Like, I, I think, you know, there's, you know, the, and I, I, t- I tell this, and you can't really get this when you just do an interview, but like I tell the students when they come to me for try six, you know, and I, cause my course is pretty tough. It is tough, but I, I want to, I ask a lot out of them and I want them to be good. And I don't want, I don't, the status quo is, is terrible <laughs> in this profession. It's awful. Right. Um, and so I tell them that and I, and I tell them, I said, Hey, you know, we're here as a profession. I want you guys to be here. I want you all the way up here. Right. And, and so I, you know, try and do the things to bring them all up. You know what I mean? But I think, uh, having a better idea of who's coming in as opposed to, okay, you have a, you know, a, a 3.0 plus GPA in the sciences, you have minimum 90 hours of science stuff. Okay. I think there's, there needs to be more. Um, but you know, and that's, um, oh, yeah. yeah. And it, it does get tough. And I, I mean, I know we did. So when I went into Logan, we did an interview. And again, I'm air quoting that interview was just with the admissions officer. It wasn't with right. anybody from the faculty. It wasn't in front right. of a review board. And just even if the uh, level of uh, scrutiny from that board isn't super high, like it's, I'm not going to say you're just doing it because you're doing it, but just having a student sit in front of a group of faculty, which is eventually going to be colleagues and peers, changes the game versus you just sitting down with an admissions advisor where it's kind of just like, yeah, we're just making sure you're not a criminal or, you know, whatever. And yep. Yeah. You know, that doesn't change the game, but it starts to change your mindset from day one of like, you know, stepping up your game and like, Oh, I felt like an idiot in front of that board. Well, you don't know anything yet, but like you should immediately want to change that. Um, what we kind of, we've touched on some of this stuff with like the seminars and stuff, you being around a year in a different school. So I know that is part of it, but then you're around, you know, a different generation of students now what's one or two of the biggest differences that you notice just in like chiropractic school education or the students right now versus when you were in school? You know, I feel like we had more coursework, like mm-hmm. a lot more coursework. I feel like we had, you know, cause we were up, we were upwards of like 40 plus hours a semester. Mm-hmm. You know, we got into like try seven, I think it was try six or try seven. We were like 45, 47 yeah. hours or something crazy like that. I think the, the one thing I think we benefited from Logan, um, what a multiple things obviously, but like one big thing was we continued to have classes in the clinic. So try eight and try nine, we had courses, you know, and we had, a. Uh, they don't, once you get to try eight, at, at Parker, it's, it's it. You're just in clinic. And so I feel like the, the lack of having actual coursework and actual, uh, and classroom learning, I think you benefit a lot of, from that and be able to maybe apply that directly to your patients to like day one. It's almost like kind of like we go to seminars now. Um, and like, we learn something like, Oh my gosh, that, that patient, that patient, I can use that for that patient. And then you go, you go and try it. Right. That's where now it's like <clears throat> these students have to go to club and try and learn something from club. 
and like, okay, can I apply this to my patient here as opposed to learning from your faculty and it's like, hey, this, this case presentation presents like this. If you do this uh, exercise or you do this intervention and you get these responses, you know, try maybe try this as opposed to like maybe in the, in the clinic uh, and this is, you know, the student have, fumbles with something with the patient. Not all of them have the, the gusto to go to their clinical faculty doctor and say, hey, this didn't work. And, and it's like, why wouldn't you consult with the person who's managing phase? It's their patient, right? Yeah. But be like, consult, consult with the person who's like helping you in your education. Yeah, and not all of them do that. And so I think there's a big gap there. Uh, and from the uh, transition or the clinic aspect that we actually had at Logan, I think it was very beneficial. Um, you know, and I feel, um, I think the exposure of, one thing I think was positive with Logan too is, is the exposure to the different uh, things. So we got exposed to diagnosis periodically throughout our, um, uh, through our education as we're Parker, it's like diagnosing class. Uh, differential class was exposure over a couple semesters. One semester it's differential, right? Here at Parker. And so like, and even like, even like biomechanics or, or honestly just kind of like exercise stuff, right? Mm -hmm. We we had at Logan, you know, we had hard, hard biomechanics, which was good to learn. Uh, and then a couple semesters later, uh, we, you know, we had like PT2, mm -hmm. PT1, PT2, you're getting some exposure there. And then all of a sudden in tri-8, you had like the best course at Logan was advanced biomechanics with which Winchester anymore, which is sad. So, what are you serious? Yeah. So Winchester's on a leave of absence. Um, yeah, for a lot of reasons, but yeah, that course isn't there, which yeah. Oh, wow. Just oh, that saying was, that is yeah. When you're like, take, wow. take away the best course and it's like, mm, especially with what you're saying, which is a, I think an awesome point because a student who's in clinic that's still having to educate themselves exactly what you're going to do when you're in practice. Hopefully mm -hmm. you don't go into practice and you're just like, mm, I'm just going to get those cheap CEUs at the end of the year and yeah. fill them. No, you like literally you want to be learning all the time. And that may be yeah. reading. It may be talking to a colleague. It doesn't mm -hmm. have to be a seminar. It could be like, literally I have a hard case. Do you have a, a group or a person to reach out to, to talk about that? And you're learning and not being, you know, hide in the shadows and oh, I just kind of screwed up or, you know, I'm kind of going to just, you know, bury my head in the sand. Mm. Um, you know, I, I think too, one thing <clears throat> I feel, you know, again, I, I wasn't around all the students in my class, so I don't know if this is just something that myself and like my friends did that in, in my, in my class, but I feel like we asked a lot of questions uh, to our doctors at, 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 at Logan. Like we asked about cases, we asked, you know, specific questions. We tried to help th get them to help us work through cases and stuff like that. Maybe that was a, that was a product of the environment as well, being around BryoFreeze a little bit too, where they kind of encourage some of that stuff. But even leading up to that, I feel like we asked a lot of questions as to where, you know, occasionally you'll get a student who asks quite a bit of questions, but for the most part, it, they, they're relatively quiet. And I don't know if that's, and I don't, I don't know if that's a thing where they're just kind of, you know, they're, they're nervous about asking questions or, um, or what, you know, but I think, you know, being a student, you have to understand like immediately, you know, we go over the Dunning-Kruger effect, like day one and PT two, right. You have to realize that you don't know anything. So ask questions, you know what I mean? Honestly, there's no, there's no stupid questions. There really aren't right. Because that, that always leads to, you know, if you have a question that, you know, people are worried, worried about it being a very low level question. You know what I mean? Well, 
I can expand on a low level question and blow your blow the top off your head. You know what I mean? But why that this basic principle applies to this concept that's like way over here, you know, uh, so I can always, I can bring it home. You don't have to worry about it being a stupid question. It's uh, just ask, you know, and, and I feel like at Logan, we did that. And again, I don't know if that's just kind of like a, you know, generational thing or, or what, but I feel, you know, the, the ability to, to ask questions is, it's kind of well, and not as Sloan and I are always telling, you know, I, I feel like we're old timey people when we're like, Oh, when we went to school, when we're talking to interns or new docs, but like, I always go back, even though there were definitely aspects that looking back weren't good, but like our biofreeze experience was completely influential on how I practice because you got challenged. Not only, Oh my gosh, it's kind of like, it was the scenario that you think you wouldn't want to ask questions in, right? Because you knew if you mm-hmm. asked a question, you, you know, you weren't necessarily going to get an answer. You were going to get challenged to try to think of the answer on your own, which I think is really what you're yes. doing when you're in practice by yourself. Yes. But you can also end up getting your head bit off or they mm-hmm. call a group around and now you're all of a sudden <laughs> demoing or trying to explain what you just asked, which again, that's mm-hmm. what you're doing to a patient. So yeah, I, ta- I think about that all the time and you know, it's not like we made you, it, it made you comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. And that, and that's what I don't think happens a lot because you're going to be uncomfortable so many times in practice of you don't oh know God. what's going on. You don't mesh well with somebody. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't go well. Like you think, you know, what's going on. They just don't get better. And you're, you know, all these things mm-hmm. make you uncomfortable. So what, how, okay. So if that's a thing that you see with students, like what would you suggest to them? Like, I know it'd just be like, Hey, open your mouth. But like, you know, they have club, you know, where that's an environment. Yeah. You know that I, I think that specifically, I actually kind of try and incorporate that into my course, my actual PT2 course. So I do a thing that's called uh, kind of off topic, but kind of bring it back to being feeling uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I do a thing called skill. We do a thing called skills checks. And basically when I get them to coach and exercise, I want them to follow uh, the coaching communication loop that Winkleman talks about. Mm-hmm. So you describe, you, uh, you know, you, you, you demo, you cue, they do it, then you debrief. So you, you know, basically try and change the movement if you need to. Right. And so I want them to be able to check off those five check boxes. Right. And, and we have to, and it just has to flow, you know, this is patient interaction essentially. Right. And so they mentally have to put themselves in a, in a, in a place where uh, they have to imagine this person in front of them has no idea what you're getting ready to ask them to do. Even though that person obviously has studied the material that you're getting ready, that, that your guys are practicing, right? You put yourself in that position. And I, I, I leading up to practicals, like I, and it's one-on-one, we're in a group setting, but the, the communication is one-on-one when I give them feedback, it's not like I'm pointing out to everybody their mistakes, right? I'm brutally honest. I'm like, does that make any sense? You know? And they're like, what do you mean? You just told them to do this when, when, we want them to do this, you know? And, and they're like, Oh, and like, they kind of start seeing like, cause the things, the language they use is like doctor language. Mm-hmm. Oh, they don't need it. They don't need to know what a glute, gluteus maximus is. Right. Just say glutes, <laughs> you know, this is going to work, work the, work the glutes here, whatever. Okay. And so a lot of them respond well to that, 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 um, uh, that type of like interaction and some people don't respond well at all. And so like for me as a, as a coach, right communication, I have to kind of like, 
position myself differently and use different language inflection of voice, right. Different communication, you know, uh, with those, with those individuals, those students to try and get them to like kind of continue to buy in and use the stuff that we're using, we're, we're, I'm trying to grill them on. Right. Yeah. And I tell them, I said, look, this is patient care. This is stuff you're going to do in practice. It's going to feel uncomfortable. It's going to, you're going to feel silly doing some of this stuff, but this is just real life. You know what I mean? And so I think that getting that exposure, uh, in, in other classes maybe, or like kind of like having, being put in situations, you know what I mean? Changing the variables, you know, you know, taking, you know, in that FSA three, uh, three lab, sometimes what I'll do, it'll be dead quiet. And sometimes I'll throw on like, you know, frozen two soundtracks, super loud on my phone, just to kind of distract them a little bit before they're getting ready to adjust. So you have no idea what's going to happen in practice, right? You yeah. have to be ready and focused and, 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 and dialed in, you know what I mean? So we start adding variability there uh, at the end of that course to try and create situational things, you know, and, and I think trying to get, for me being on the, in the academic side, purely academics now trying to find opportunities to expose them to being uncomfortable to try and, create a robust, uh, doctor, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, is, is pretty and, you know, try and find as many as it can, but I'm kind of limited in time, you know? Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, being in the clinic, which I was, you know, what it is, what I did when I first went to Parker being in the clinic, a lot of docs have trouble with that because they're still trying you know, after not because they're, they're incompetent. It's because sometimes they're still trying to get the student to get a, an appropriate soap note. <laughs> at the end of try eight, you know, <laughs> it's like, it's like, why am I having to allocate my time to you writing a soap note? This is where the differential, bo- your differential diagnosis goes in the differential diagnosis box, you know, <laughs> not, not in your orthopedic test box. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, they're, they're having to put out other fires and stuff. And, and when, and unfortunately it's kind of, you know. but that's what a lot of students feel like a, a big part of their education is, it's just kind of like, learning like the puppeteering part of like, Oh, you got to do this. This is what you do. You got to know this for boards. Like it's Mm. very much, it's concrete of like, this is what you need, but at the same time, like it's not actually what you want to have to be a good doctor. Right. It's kind of like, you know, you get here and then it's like, Ooh, you're kind of on your own. And like Winchester said something that was pretty clever. He goes, it's pretty sad that you got to spend two or you spend $200,000 on your education. You still have to go to a club to be a good doctor. And it's like, a lot of students feel like that. I'm not saying that's the truth, but a lot of students feel like that. Um, so one thing that I kind of always go back to is like, I think in school or out of school, like I think there should be a like clinical debate group or class where you literally, the whole goal of the class, it's not necessary to argue, but if you go to like a medical conference, they're extremely comfortable with like arguing like that somebody brings up research like this doesn't make sense like you know we go to conferences seminars if somebody asks a question it it doesn't get shut down but it's very much like well we're here learning this this is why we do this and then the conversation kind of stops at that explanation or same thing if it's you know like two docs talking it's like why do this i do this because there is a lot of variety in our profession like how do you think you can foster and again we've been talking about like suggestions like what would you know like we all practice different, even if it's similar, like you and I very similar, but we would look at a case and still treat it different. Right. Mm -hmm. It would, it would be kind of the same, but it's different. Mm -hmm. How do we again, get students and doctors to be comfortable with like, I mean, how many times you see on Facebook, somebody brings up a case and all of a sudden it goes from, 
really good dialogue to an argument and you're like, yeah. can't we learn rather than just like, you know, tear it down. So like, how do we help like foster that kind of a, I don't even know what you want to call that, like a mindset or an environment or whatever. Uh, I yeah, think, big, big question. you know, think, yeah, the, the, the perfect, the, I think the gift of the curse is, is, is just the profession in general. Um, the type of people that the profession attracts, um, you know, that has a lot to do with it, I think. Um, and I think being exposed to specific continued education and how they communicate and how they deliver information is actually kind of important in the beginning. If, you know, they take that early in chiropractic school because that attitude gets translated over into their communication about specific topics uh, and being able, willing to, being willing to like learn and, and be patient and, and, and try and instead of having, instead of being reactionary process things, um, you know, and, and think of different contexts when, you know, one person might say this, this implementation of X um, uh, can typically do this. And like, if like it's, it's sparks this like, you know, anger in you, like mm. be patient, think about it, you know, like, is there, is there a context when, you might apply their X intervention to X condition or patient or situation. Right. And if those two people would actually have a conversation more than likely they would come to a, come to an agreement if they're able to be able to, to say stuff, you know, it's things like fit you know, over Facebook and social media, essentially, right. Having conversations through, through, uh, you know, through typing is it's almost impossible to get across like, you know, you know, to actually communicate, truly communicate yeah. you know, exactly what you're trying to say and what you mean. Uh, and I think if we're more patient with, before we press, you know, Herm Edwards, you know, says, you know, don't press send, <laughs> you know, he says a couple of things. He's like, hey, nothing good happens after midnight and don't press send. Right. And so like, if you, if you really take, take your time or type, don't type it out on, on, on the response, the comment section, type it out on Word, right? On an unsaved document. And if you don't think the context is going to come across appropriate, just delete it, you know? And if you really want to talk to this person about X topics, send them a private message like, hey, you know, I was going to respond, but I kind of, you know, I don't think it's going to come across appropriately. Would you mind like setting up a video chat to kind of talk about the specific topic? That's something like that, I think would probably solve a lot of like, it would, it was, you get rid of a lot of a lot of uh, BS on the on social media, but I think you know I tip I you know for me like I re, I usually don't I try not I I I don't comment very much at all. It's because you know your context is never going to come across appropriately. Yeah. You know, it just it just won't. So you know. that's uh, I you know you kind of say how like people get very. I don't know if angry is the right word, but it's kind of just like territorial with like information and like very de very defensive. Yeah. Uh, it's almost like you're challenging their knowledge when I, and I think a specific I, topic or, or, yeah, I think where that comes from is the whole profession is like an iceberg. And then it's like, we broke that iceberg into a million and you're just standing on your little piece of ice because mm -hmm. everybody's different. It's like, if that gets challenged all of a sudden your livelihood's like, yeah. And it's like, yeah. dude, rather than trying to make, you know, rejoin all those little icebergs together. It's like, I'm just going to stay here and not try to actually like join with people. And it's not like, and I also think you feel like you're giving up something, right? If you're like, Oh, that is, you know, it's like, Oh, I, that person like 
you know, is right. And they got one over on me because you're, you're talking to patients all day. Right. I think you get this mindset that like, you're the authority. If what I think's wrong, all of a sudden, like it's almost like a imposter syndrome. Like, Oh shit, I don't know mm -hmm. what I'm talking about. But like, yep. that goes back to what you said earlier of like, you better be comfortable with like not knowing anything, being mm -hmm. humble continually. And just like, that's, that's your life. <laughs> right. <laughs> You're just, you're just going to get stomped on repeatedly. Right. And, it's, and you know, how, how you manage that and how you respond and react to that is just so important. And it's so, it, a lot of people respond to stress by shutting down mm -hmm. and the patients see that, you know, the patients see that. And I think that's, that's some of the, when I was in a clinic, that was, that was one thing I was actually able to do from a management standpoint of the interns is be able to expose them to that, not necessarily in front of a patient, but like one-on-one -on -one to them. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you, you gotta, you gotta challenge them. You know what I mean? You, uh, you know, so, okay, you have these, these three differential diagnoses here. What test are you going to do for, uh, so you, you know, the patient has low back pain. So what, what tests are you going to do? You know, what diagnosis in low back is Hawkins Kennedy going to help with? When that's, and they're like, like what? Oh, that's a shoulder. Uh, 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 <laughs> I'm going through my clinical process real quick. Oh yeah. I'll get back to you. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 That's uh, I just think it's interesting because obviously we went to school together. We were, you know, a little bit apart and then we were both in private practice at the same time. And then you going into academia and it's just, a, we're in multiple professions have options, right? What you can do, like the options are endless, but then like, just like the best athletes in the world, right? Like they look like they don't get bothered by getting crushed every day, but they're getting crushed every day in some way. Mm -hmm. And they're opening themselves up to hundred percent. But then it's like, they're, they're acting, but they're not like overtly reacting like, Oh my God, like this destroys me. It's like you react, you learn, and then you keep moving. So like mm -hmm. what, you they athlete, like yeah they they seek uh, i was just gonna say like go you do you feel like kids or students i keep saying kids students need more things outside of school to put themselves in the, that scenario yeah. like it's more a character building mm -hmm. like personal building rather than like what you're actually doing in school maybe mm -hmm. yeah i mean i think the those those like you said you're kind of using the athlete analogy they actually seek out they want to know they don't they don't just want to know what they can do to get better they want to know they want they almost want to get ripped apart mm -hmm. because that helps them truly process where they need to make that you know divert most of their efforts towards you know what i mean you know and and i think having the you know the going through the biofreeze internship it really, uh, it was not for everybody. No. And, it, and it was, you know, it was not for everybody. And a lot of people who did it, it, they realized quickly that it was not for them. But I think, you know, obviously they stuck with it. I think they, you know, whether they would like to admit it or not, they, they came out a much different and more whole uh, student getting ready to start practice. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, you know, the, and I, I'm kind of weird though. I loved it. Yeah, I, I did too. I loved it. And it was cause it was so challenging to me and it was, it was challenging and it was, it made me, 
it made me like put my head down at work. But I mean, that kind of, that's just kind of, I guess that's the kind of person I am. My, my, my style of work is just like stress, respond to stress. You know what I mean? And I think if you're going to actually, if you're going to do really well in practice legally, <clears throat> I think uh, <laughs> responding to stress is something that you, if you can get really good at that, that's going to be, that'd be really, 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 really important. And that's, I mean, I kind of, I know a lot of people wouldn't agree with me. I kind of dreaded football practice every day a little bit because you just knew it was going to suck. Right? Mm-hmm. Like some part of it, conditioning, something you're not very good at, somebody's going to rip into you, you're going to be put on the spot, like whatever it is, like some part of it sucks. Conditioning but, for me, 100%. Yeah, but then you also like that, like gets me like riled up of like, God, I can't believe, you know, and then that's yeah. like building. But yeah. Then- and the next thing you know, practice is over. You blink, the practice is over. You had yeah. no idea. It wasn't, it wasn't so miserable, you know? That's like type two fun. You get done, you're like, oh, practice was so fun today. It was yeah. Cool. Yeah, it was awful. Everybody's dying, you know? And you're like, yeah. But yeah, BioFreeze was definitely transformative and, you know, for what we did. And I, I don't want to necessarily say I want to recreate that for our externs and students because there were definitely parts that I think. There's aspects of that that, are, that need to be done. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Um, some aspects don't necessarily, uh, yeah, which were personal, you know, things yeah. outside of that. It was great. And I just think that's, you know, I'm not in academia, so I can't say, I think that's what's missing in, you know, the education now, but like, I can definitely see a difference in students that come in now, not like intelligence and bare bones knowledge mm-hmm. way ahead of where I was, but the confidence to fail fail on the fly and then learn is like low. And I think it's just because of the situational awareness of like not putting yourself there and knowing like that's normal. Like you're going to fail. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's almost like it's, is some of that missing from like, like further back life uh, before. Yeah. Life like before (laughs) chiropractic school. Right. You know, it's like, was there a disconnect, you know, somewhere along the line there, you know, be it, um, be a like sports background or, you know, or just obviously other factors too, you mm-hmm. know, like family stuff too. So I, I, I mean, I'm sure there's much more, there's more factors to that. And I think, you know, in terms of like, you know, for me being an academics, you know, trying to create really, really good doctors, <laughs> keyword doctors. Um, I think there's a lot of stress that needs to be placed on the students to try and create positive change. Mm-hmm. Um, because you, if you don't place any stress on it, obviously they're not going to change. It's the, the, the product that's going to come out is not what you want, right? It, it may it may make for a better student, but it's not going to make for a better doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, they're very different. They're, it's a very, very different. I don't want to graduate students. I want to graduate doctors, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think having that frame of that thought process and that frame of mind of be able to create stress, but also being not being so stressful to where you're not allowing to create, not allowing adaptation to create that. And it's just super weird. I'm using like a strength and conditioning ana- analogy, but you know, it, for, it makes sense for making it doctors, but it's, just, but it's the same, right. You know, if you, you know, if you go too hard on them and you don't like back off a little bit and allow them to like process where they failed and be able to change, you know, then you won't, you won't create a, create that change. But also if you know, you, you're constantly bending and you're constantly allowing them to, kind of you know do whatever they need to do to like move along then Mm. you're 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 accruing you know you're accruing uh uh, colleagues who 
are not able to pay their student loans. I think <laughs> so. That's kind of, it's kind of a good point, right? Like what you learn in school <clears throat> about the human body can be applied, which is, you know, nerdy as that sounds, like the physiology demands that we know, whether it's Wolf's Law or, you know, exercise yeah. physiology, like that applies to you as a human. Set, and you have to do the said principle. Yeah, like yeah. do those things and, you know, I mean, there's a reason that, you know, medical sales companies want athletes. There's a reason that insurance companies want, like, that, there's a reason, right? So, like, yep. I'm not saying that, like, you know, chiropractic school and PT school has a plethora of athletes for a lot of reasons, right? It's a movement-based profession mm -hmm. and all those things. But I think it really goes back to if we had to put a, a bow on this, you know, podcast of, like, the person that's coming into chiropractic school. Yeah, a bow. Yeah, a like a bow? Uh, yeah. Um, the person, like not, you know, I'm saying the person, the character, the person coming in and like their mm. ability to do that is maybe what's needs to be discerned more rather than like, what was your GPA? Those things are important. Important. Like, but the communication skills are just, are so important. Right. And, and, and even though most of us are going to uh, be in private practice alone, right. Mm. Um, the, the ability to communicate is so important. I think, you know, the, t the team, the true team aspect of it, if you're able to play team sports, being able to communicate to multiple people, A, is going to help you through school quite a bit. Mm. But B, uh, if you start to have, uh, you know, you start to have an office manager or you have another doc coming in, the, in your practice, being able to communicate to them and, you know, uh, being able to like communicate together, not just you talking at them mm. is super important. And I think, you know, a lot, and that's not, not, of course, this is not across the board, but a lot of students who don't have that sports background or they don't have some type of background in like, maybe they were really active in student senate or something like that going through uh, like high school and college and stuff. It doesn't have to be athletics, but something, something where they have to communicate with other people and like they see a process of things, following a process, sticking with a process, that type of stuff. I think they, they typically struggle quite a bit coming out of school. Yeah. That's a good point because maybe, you know, we were talking about like a debate course or team or whatever, you know, like clinical debating, but what if it's just literally like clinical communication? Like that's not yeah. a course, right? Like why are no. we, we know how important the therapeutic partnership is, buy-in with a patient, all like, and why is that not, you know, we talk mm -hmm. about it. Yeah, for sure. But it's not really worked yeah. on. Yeah. But yeah, that's one thing it, being able to work on it is, you know, uh, and that's what I think, you know, the one thing that would be good for Parker is to kind of add something like that to be able to actually work on it. You know, my, my wife is much better than I am uh, at everything. Um, so, but she does that in her functional assessment. I think she does it in a lot though in nutrition though. And she actually has them work on it in nutri the, her nutrition course because our nutrition was like just facts essentially. Right. But like what it should be is like some facts, obviously, but how do you take a nutritional history? Like what questions do you ask? You know, like what recommendations do you make? And she has them do a ton of projects on those of actually asking people these questions and doing these things, right? Making mm -hmm. these recommendations. So like the ap actual application of what you're trying to learn. And so I think she does a really good job at that, integrating that into her course itself. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, if you look at it across the, across the board, typically, uh, courses are like, you know, and this is every chiropractic school. It's like, it's this course, then this is, this is the class. Okay. And this, this is this class. 
and this is this class, and this is this class. When they come to try six, they get PT2. We're like, oh yeah, this is PT2. Guess what it incorporates? <laughs> Everything, right? I, you know, I'll throw like, I'll, I'll throw, you know, mechanism of injuries into questions, throw orthopedic tests into questions, differential diagnosis into questions, you know, functional assessment into questions. And they're like, well, this isn't exercise. We're like, well, it's patient care. Yeah. And guess what you're going to do in patient care? You'll probably use exercise. Guess what else you're going to do? Probably use an assessment, use an orthopedic test, use, you know, use X, Y, Z imaging findings, whatever it is. Right. Mm-hmm. But you have to be able to pull that stuff in and, and be able to like process that and use it. That's, mm-hmm. that's being a doctor. It's not being good at PT2. Right. It's not being good at orthopedics. It's being a doctor, being able to take all this information and apply it. And I think, I think that's probably the best way to wrap up because I think a lot of students, they probably know that, right? Like, Oh, I got to integrate the stuff and be able to critically think. Mm. But I think they get a little bit like subdued into the thought that if I just learn everything, whatever comes at me, I'll be okay. Just because the encyclopedia is you've read all of them does not mean you know how to like go get the fact, put it into practice and do it. And like, Mm -hmm. I mean, I tell the story all the time. Like Winchester told me like, don't do any seminars. Like I had done a bunch already and he's like, stop. Mm -hmm. He's like, don't do it. He's like, start learning how to integrate this stuff and you'll be better for it. And I'm not saying to don't do that stuff, but like, again, I could memorize every fact in the world and still be a terrible physician and get, Mm -hmm. you know, perfect scores on boards and everything. And I think I had, I actually, I did pretty, pretty good through chiropractic school from a grade Mm -hmm. standpoint, but even like getting into clinic, I was really, I think one thing that I, I was pretty good at in clinic was communication. Well, getting patients in, communicating with patients, being able to talk to them, it was easy for me because um, I'm usually a pretty quiet individual. Um, but uh, no, I'm not. Uh, I talk too much. But, you know, I think the thing where I even had a disconnect of like, oh, the because I, I remember sitting down with Dr. Engelson and she asked me, She, they, I think it was just a part of what Logan had to do. Mm-hmm. She asked me a question about, like, you know, give me some differential diagnosis of, of like, you know, knee pain. And, you know, one would think of like simple things of like, you know, patellar tendonitis, IT band syndrome, you know, X, Y, Z. And, but like, I kind of froze and I was like, the only thing I could think about was like these super complicated, like zebra things. Right. And I was like, ah, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) She was like, yeah, okay. But what about, (laughs) but like understanding that, and I think, you know, having that conversation probably opened up my eyes of like, this is what they mean. Don't chase a zebra. Like just use logic, use your brain. And that's what you should be doing as a student. That's what you should be doing with your, your, your doctor and clinic is Mm -hmm. sitting down. Like if you don't quite grasp how, how specific courses or classes kind of mold into being a doctor, because that's what you should be learning how to do is is from head to toe, treat everything. I mean, not head to toe in the body, but paperwork, um, you know, uh, taking the history, note taking, like what, what, what frame of mind you should have when you're taking a history, asking open-ended questions and funneling down to like more specific questions, how the, how all that information taking this and apply it to your, you know, your differentials and then going to your testing and stuff like that. That's what you learn in clinic. You know what I mean? But, but if you don't grasp that and you understand that you've already learned all this stuff in, in class, now you're taking everything and you're kind of pulling it together. I think that, you know, as a student, if you're not doing that, then that's, that's on you. Yeah. A hundred percent of that's on you. You're, 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 you're not, you know, this is your opportunity to, to ask questions and fail a lot Yeah. with obviously the super supervision, 
the supervision yeah. of your doctor, right? Yeah. But, but this is your opportunity. You know what I mean? Fail now so we can coach you and help you. And that's why when you get to practice, hopefully you don't fail as bad. You're going to yeah. fail. Yeah. But hopefully you don't fail, you know, you know, don't do anything crazy. Really yeah. You don't want to fail big. You don't want to fail big, right? You don't want to hurt. Right. right. You're right, Exactly. Yeah. You don't want to yeah. not be able to feed yourself. Like that's failing. Failing of you, not getting one person out of back pain and learning like, oh, that won't happen to me again. Or I'm going to try to at least not let yeah. or let it happen. Like that's yeah. a good fail. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like, oh man, I didn't, I didn't teach this, I didn't teach this person how to like, you know, how to hip pinch or like how to sit in a car or how to, yeah. you know, how to get it up and down in the chair. Like, yeah. you know, that'll never happen again. Right. Maybe that'll be the title of this podcast. Fail good, fail real good. How um, to fail good. How to <laughs> fail gooder than everybody else. Well, tons of great info. And again, I, um, I mean, I don't know who all listens to this podcast, probably just my mom. Um, but beyond that, hopefully students listen to this thing and like apply some of this stuff, but also like hopefully it creates dialogue, right? Within classrooms, within groups, with, you know, um, if you're thinking about going to school or if you're new into practice, like if you're, say you're out on an island, you're in private practice by yourself and you're in an area that doesn't have anybody that's really like minded or you better get a group of people or at least one other person. Because mm-hmm. if you're going to have stress and need to be able to adapt, like you said, you probably need somebody to throw things off of or at least decompress. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, realizing that the, the stress repair cycle is uh, not just physiologic. It's also personal level too. hundred uh, percent. Well, cool. I appreciate you being on here so much, Cody. And uh, yeah, thanks, bro. I'll put uh, any contact info you're comfortable with putting. I'll put that on the show notes. So if anybody has questions with, for you, any last uh pieces of sage wisdom from uh hemac before we get off here uh, <laughs> there's never too much coffee <laughs> it's true as long as the toilet is near so <laughs> yeah not, right. a to- not, a, not a tp shortage so <laughs> well, i'll let you get off here this morning and uh, again thank you so much man i appreciate thank it thank you man appreciate it later, later.